Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good morning and welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber with Sarah Eisen and Mike Santoli. We're live from the New York Stock Exchange. Jim and Carl have the morning off. Let's give you a look at futures for this Thursday. As we head into that Labor Day weekend, you can see we are set up for a uh, far higher open, at least uh, at this point. Investor sentiment, well, it may be getting a boost from indications that China will hold off on immediate retaliation for those planned U.S. tariff hikes that, of course, are going higher in part because the Chinese did respond to our last hike in tariffs. A spokesman for China's Ministry of Commerce quoted as saying that escalation of the trade war won't benefit anyone. Two sides still planning to meet in September. Of course, much of this uh, rhetoric or its communication is what we've been seeing for some time. I don't think any of it necessarily means that the Chinese are not still in a stance that is sort of has them backing off from full engagement that somehow would lead to a deal in the near term. I think it was a surprise olive branch, maybe, taken as good news by the markets that things weren't going to escalate even farther at the moment. But you're right. I mean, in terms of a de-escalation, there's not much evidence. September 1st, this weekend, we are set to have a new round of tariffs go into effect on products coming from China into this country. Smartwatches, Bluetooth headphones, flat panel TVs, some parts of footwear. And then more confirmation from the trade rep yesterday, December, it includes cell phones, laptops, clothes, and toys. And boy, did the retailers that reported today make it clear that that was starting to factor into their guidance. Without a doubt. I thought that was the most interesting part of these reading these press releases from whether it be a Dollar General or Best Buy uh, or a few others. Their note, and some actually taking a paragraph, yeah. calling it tariffs and the impact. I think it was... Was it Dollar General uh, specifically that went there? No, it was Dollar Tree, actually. PBH also lowered on it. Abercrombie lowered on it. Yeah, so. it's pretty clear and present right now for the, for the retail industry. And I, I think, you, look, you could look at the pop in the, in the stock index futures timed exactly to the moment that we got those headlines from China. So it is taken uh, as a little bit of a, of a signal that there's a process. It's not this sort of spiral of hostility on either side. I do think the setting for it, though, is that the market has been very worried about a variety of things, and it's gotten very defensive and clenched up, even though the market's been in this trading range for August. Uh, I think if you look at the sentiment surveys, if you look at positioning, if you look at how much downside protection people have bought, if you look at the the crescendo of panic over the yield curve, I think it shows you the market was just sort of a little too defensive in the short term. You take a little bit of trade optimism, even if it's just a reiteration, and it's an excuse to get a 1% pop in the future. Well, let's assume we get no... uh, We're not going to... In the near term, the expectation for an actual deal between yeah. China and the U.S. has got to be extraordinarily small. I but think. it's a just don't get too negative too right. soon So let's type assume of that for the remainder of the year, although who, who knows, it, it's quiet. No, no real progress per se, but it's just quiet. What do we get back to focusing on that, Mike? I think, you know, the, if the U.S. growth I mean, other than looking at earnings reports that have tariff updates if on If we them. remain in a 2% economy, we got the revision of second quarter GDP at 2% this morning. Um, then it seems to me it's like, well, 
Look, dividend yields look pretty good right here. Let's see if the Treasury market can relax a little bit and have yields go higher. And then the buyback machine kind of gets turned back on and it just becomes the same old story. And we'll see if it's cyclical stocks that can just recover from their their kind of losses or it's, you know, big tech again that just sort of uh, kind of steals all the oxygen. We don't know. I think it's also, I mean, hard to read too much into the trading action of today and yesterday. We're talking about month end. Sure. Sort of funky things happening like pension fund rebalancings with such strong outperformance of bonds over stocks for the month of August. So far this week, though, every sector is higher. And if you look at some of the beneficiaries, it's groups like energies and financials that have been totally beaten down for the month of August. So the question is, is this sort of a, a new calm, as David said, or is this just sort of profit taking and rebalancing at the end of the and month? And it's, it's getting fixed because, again, it, it's, it's more of a... A familiar outlook. It's not like an, an urgent panic that things have gotten suddenly worse. I would say within that GDP report, one very good surprise is that consumer spending continues to boom. I mean, in the second quarter, yes, it's backward looking, but 4.7 percent was even better than the originally reported 4.3 percent pace of consumer spending. The other uh, s- sort of good surprise in that report was the corporate profit rebound, what we saw from the first quarter, though business investing was a subtraction from GDP. And that's something we know the Fed's worried about and and we're monitoring closely. So the profits are coming back, but the confidence not so much because business investment actually down 0.6%. For more on the markets, the economy, and the outlook, let's bring in Credit Suisse Chief Equity Strategist Jonathan Golub. Also with us, Matt Miskin, Co-Chief Investment Strategist at John Hancock Investment management. Jonathan, how, how are you feeling as we wrap up what was a, a difficult month for the bulls? And, and I believe you were pretty cautious heading into right. it. And, and, and I, like, I've been bullish for the last five, six years, and I've been more cautious recently. And, and I think that there's a couple things that were said here I think that are key. First is, if we think that, that this trade thing is over with a couple of, of comments, it's not. So yeah, the market may rally 1%. But I think that we have to, you know, kind of assume that this is going to be a very prolonged um, issue. And then the second issue is one, Mike, that you brought up, is this is really all about economic growth. Until you see the PMIs and the ISM and, and cyclical data improving, they don't, have to, they don't have to improve dramatically, but they have to stop decelerating. It's really hard for stocks to, uh, to do well. And then there's this belief that lower interest rates are a good thing. If, if, if the last month has taught us anything is, you know, rapidly declining interest rates are not a good thing for, thing for markets. But didn't the last 10 years teach us that they are? <laughs> I, no, I don't, I don't think so. If you look at, you know, on days where interest rates fall, um, stocks tend to go down. And that's been really consistent. John, how are you uh, viewing what the month has given you as an investor, as an asset allocator? Uh, obviously, yields, uh, they have two signals, right? One is it says something about economic growth expectations and inflation and Fed policy. On the other hand, that's the hurdle rate for borrowing and investing. So how does that fit into your process? Matt. Matt. Matt, I'm sorry. I thought it was John. <laughs> oh, so I, Pardon yeah, me. in terms of our process, you know, this looks like a regime that's been playing out. It's a trade war regime that you have to be accustomed to. Slower growth, slower inflation, the consumer doing all the heavy lifting as it relates to the economy. And positioning is key. If you look at this regime, really since we have 20 months now of trade war data to, to scrub, to look at a playbook for a multi-asset, cross-asset portfolio, And if you look at that, it's defensive equities, it's U.S. quality stocks, it's the dollar. 
tech stocks. These are all things that we're leaning into at John Hancock Investment Management, and we think that does have legs into the end of the cycle. Yeah, Matt, I'll, I'll take the, the opposite side of some of that, that argument, is Jonathan, um, in that we've seen for now a full 10-year cycle weaker economic activity. And the underlying business investment has really been weak, um, you know, now since 2009, 2010. And you got a little bit of a pickup right out of the gate with some tax incentives from the president. And then they rolled over. But, but I think that this is a bigger growth issue. And by focusing only on a China trade dispute, I think under, you know, underplays the, the longer term trend here. Matt? Yeah, I mean, you, you, could, you could break down the uh, current administration into two different periods. There was the tax cut period in 2017, and yes, you saw a global growth acceleration. China was doing stimulus at that time as well. Uh, but really, since the beginning of 2018, as we all remember, the washing machines and solar panels, the starting of tariffs there, uh, has been a hindrance to growth. Is it all of the, the picture? No, it is not. But it is something that we're starting in the history books. We're going to look back at this period and we're going to see that a trade war regime is going to have certain characteristics, certain commonalities. And we think that we're well positioned to navigate these choppy days like we're seeing today. And we think that's a good way to do it. Quality stocks in the U.S. and dollar denominated. But you seem to think, Jonathan, this trade war regime that Matt just mentioned is going to go on for a long time. I, I do. And first of all, I, I actually am entirely on the same page on how I play this. So I think that this defensive positioning um, is, is warranted. But I think that we need to start with the assumption that growth is going to be slow for demographic reasons for a longer, for a longer issue. And when we had um, China not letting us access their market or they were subsidizing industries or they were um, abusing intellectual property, we didn't see that, that just to be uncomfortable with that as, as market participants, as long as we weren't, you know, overtly arguing. And now we're trying to write, you know, the president's trying to write, you know, the ship. And by the way, it's probably the one thing where there's real bipartisan support for this type of activity, and we just don't like the bickering over it. But there's no way that we're going to get this in a better place without having to, without having to get it uncomfortable for a period of time. And we're in that period right now. You can see the president, uh, another day, another tweet, more or less focused on the Fed and, and Chairman Powell, although not named here, but just wanting them to, uh, to ease. You think we're going to get more easing, right? I, I, think, I think the market's forcing the Fed to, to ease, not because we need it for growth, but because the yield curve is, is just way too inverted at the short end, and there's no way that the Fed is going to allow that to sustain. Well, when we talk about, Matt, defensive allocations right now, what, what do you have in mind? Are you talking about within the equity market? I mean, I, I noticed today that high-grade corporate bond returns for August, 3.3%, best August since 1982, those, those blue-chip bonds. So where are you recommending investors allocate? We do actually have an overweight to investment-grade corporate bonds, but the best idea we have right now is infrastructure-related equities. And what we're seeing globally is that central banks have done as much as they can. Uh, the ECB doing more quantitative easing, really what benefit is that going to bring? Uh, governments are going to have to start stepping to the plate and doing fiscal stimulus. The best way to do that often is infrastructure. We believe that's an under-owned asset class, undercovered. Uh, it provides good, steady cash flows with growth potential. We really like that in your equity part of the portfolio, and we think that 
can provide defense with a kind of a, a barbell of technology and quality stocks uh, for global equities. What do you mean, stocks like Caterpillar? Uh, that would be more on the industrial side. Think more utilities, uh, utility companies around the world. So dividends, defensive cash flow, things in people need versus what they want. They need to get on their cell phone. They need an antenna to get that uh, data. Uh, those kind of businesses are really what we think are defensive and secular growth themes in the next couple of years. American Tower, maybe. Um, guys, thank you. Thank you. Matt and Jonathan. All right, when we come back, market reaction to retail earnings. We're going to go through a, a bunch of them. Best Buy, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, uh, Williams-Sonoma, where tariffs also fit into the picture since they did figure prominently in some of the conversation from the companies. Also ahead, CEO of Columbia Sportswear. He's been very outspoken about tariffs, the impact that will have on the economy. Let's give you another look at futures. We're going to open here at the New York Stock Exchange a little less than 18 minutes from now. You can see we are going to be higher. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. morning on the retail earnings front. Best Buy shares falling pre-market. Quarterly profits did beat estimates, but revenues and same-store sales missed forecasts. They also lowered guidance uh, and comps for the full year. But different story for Dollar General and Dollar Tree, each rising on better-than-expected earnings, revenues, and comp store sales. Dollar General raising its full-year guidance. David's read every retail press release. <laughs> no, I read morning. those three very carefully, yeah, just looking through <laughs> them. There wasn't us? much else to do this morning. It's not like there's a lot of people around to talk to. Um, I mean, Best Buy looks fine, except they did lower the top end of their enterprise revenue uh, for the fiscal year 20 by $300 million. They also lowered their comparable sales growth from a high of 25 to now it's a high of 1.7%. Interestingly, their non-GAAP diluted EPS range, 560 to 575, is actually higher than their previous range, but it appears that's because of a benefit in their tax rate, which is coming down to roughly 24% from 24.5. So investors do seem focused on the slightly lowered uh, guidance for overall comp sales and earnings in terms of the top of the top end of the range. As you said, the dollar store is both very strong. Um, dollar General always one of the standouts. What are we talking there? Four percent comp. Yeah, and gross profit 30.8 percent. They did note that that profit rate increase was attributable uh, to uh, reduction in markdowns, but also partially offset by higher shrink. That's stealing in the stores, of course. Uh, increased distribution costs and greater proportion of sales coming from consumables. Interestingly, Dollar Tree, which also you can see is going to be up rather nicely. They're 28.7% gross profit margin, so it's less than Dollar General's. Uh, they do cite uh, higher freight costs, markdowns, and also stealing as well. I'm, I'm trying to go through some of the, the guidance numbers on all. I think the cherry on top for Dollar General is that they raised guidance for 2019, which also includes now the impact of the higher tariffs on certain products. 
imported for China. Usually we see lower guidance on that. And as far as Best Buy guidance, the, the sort of narrowing to lower numbers yes. that they provided, it looks like the analysts are saying even though executives on the conference call are sort of playing down the tariffs, it does reflect the impact of the new tariff announcement. Because remember, Best Buy is impacted by list three going to 30 percent, if indeed that happens. And they're impacted by list four going to 15 percent on a lot of the electronics. Um, it also, they say, reflects uncertainty about the back half buying behavior. Just frankly, not knowing how consumers are going to respond if some of these price increases do get passed on. Dollar, Dollar General, I was going to yeah. just say, I mean, the fact that it's been a very strong stock already, up 30% this year, uh, it looks like it's going to tack on to that. If you think about what's working in retail, it's like scale, domestic, everyday spending, not so much big ticket, uh, and obviously a, a very direct take on on wage growth throughout the, the middle of the And country. not apparel, because exactly they said right. everything went up except for apparel, basically. Yeah. Um, both Dollar General and Dollar Tree have their calls. At, uh, begin, they began at 9 a.m., so if we get anything more, we'll let you know, particularly in terms of tariffs. Uh, I should point out Dollar Tree also saying they're going to try to mitigate almost all of the effects of those various tariffs. Uh, and so they've negotiated price concessions, canceled orders, modified specifications, evolved product mix, and diversified vendors all in hopes of actually not passing that along. Meantime, PBH and Abercrombie also lowered the outlook on tariffs. All right, so we'll follow those when we get that opening bell. Before then, though, we'll get our cash and stake on the markets as well. We're back after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big-picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. All right, we'll get started with trading here about eight minutes from now. Let's bring in Art Cashin, Director of Floor Operations with UBS. Good morning, Mr. Cashin. Good morning. What has caught your eye this morning? Well, I'd like to say one thing first. If anybody in the White House is watching, yesterday can be easily explained with no tweet on trade, stocks close higher. So if you want to get that message to the Oval Office, that will be helpful. Um, obviously, <laughs> the comments out of China have dispelled the concerns. Everybody was arguing about were there Chinese phone calls or not. Uh, now we've gotten an overture. Uh, 
I don't know that I call it an overture. It, it just appears that they're not going to respond re- with retaliation. But they did say... And it's the same he, language they've been using, and it's the same language that was used last week by the vice premier when he said, we don't want an escalation. I mean, the market seems to be taking it as a positive. I don't mean that, but I'm not quite sure it's a real change. Well, I think the market is seeing it as an overture to resume talks. And uh, you're right, much of the language is the same, but the very thought that we were not nose-to-nose and gun-to-gun is giving the market a little bit of relaxation. It it doesn't take much. I don't think you need extra special. You just need no negative news and the the market response. You saw in the rally yesterday that they went after all the things that had been beaten down very badly. Uh, The Russell was a big performer, uh, so... The market knows it's a little bit oversold on this stuff if we don't go back into the tariff and trade war situation. Guilds are up. I was going to say, we've been talking about how it's, you know, the market has actually kind of absorbed a lot uh, this month in terms of the concerns about recession and what bond market uh, yields have done uh, without necessarily falling apart. So, I mean, where does that leave us? We're kind of maybe going to get up toward the top end of this August range today. Yeah, I think uh, that would probably be the reaction that, that you see here. If they can hold these uh, uh, overnight gains, actually they started about 3 o'clock this morning, and if you can hold those gains, I think you'll be in relatively good shape. You know, the inverted yield curve is slightly suspect because this time it's for a separate reason. Um, usually before a recession, the Fed has been tightening rates so that the short end moves up above intermediate to the longer end. In this case, the longer end moved down to go under the the bed. And that's why you have a lot of people calling for a 50 basis point cut just to deal with the yield curve, not to deal with anything else. Right. We've had a lot of people make that point, Art. Uh, Thank you. My pleasure. Always appreciate it. Art Cash and joining us. We've got an opening bell about six minutes away. Stay with us. A lot more Squawk on the Street coming up. watching CNBC Squawk on the Street. We're live from the financial capital of the world. We're going to open trading in about three minutes from now. Certainly one focus, Sarah, has been retail. We went through a number of the, uh, a number of the earnings. We'll revisit them momentarily. We'll see how some of the stocks open this morning. Anything else that you're keeping a closer eye on? I mean, look, the market's up 1.4%, the S&P, so far this week. So, so this is a bounce back week. We're coming off of four weekly declines. And the news today is that China says it doesn't plan to retaliate or escalate the trade war with more tariffs, helping the market sort of get to the optimistic case that the talks are going to go on in September. Remember, those we were expecting high-level talks between Washington and in Beijing earlier in September. As long as there's talks, the market can retain some sort of optimism, despite the fact that tariffs are set to go into effect on products that have not been taxed before. We're talking everything from cell phones to apparel starting September, culminating in December. And yes, retailers given kind of a mixed view on how that's going to impact consumer spending, their margins, and their sales in the back half of the year. But overall, it's a glass-half-full approach. Jobless claims came up a little bit today, but still very low. And a lot of people see that as a leading indicator that says... We're not going into recession. If yeah. we were going into recession, we'd see more layoffs. We'd see corporate confidence declining. We, we got another affirmation that GDP is growing in the 2% range. So we're kind of in this zone of thinking 
maybe not the worst. And by the way, exactly. we're getting higher bond yields today, and it that's a plus. changes the story a little bit from the bond market is urgently telling us that a downturn's on the way, and that the rest of the evidence doesn't really say so. But just to, for a look at just how tightly we've been trading in this range, we have a chart of the S&P month to date, and this move today, pre-open, almost 1%, would get us toward the upper end of it, basically back to where we traded uh, last Thursday. Um, but that's your range, 29.30 on the upper end, 28.20 on the on the lower end, and that arrow on the right is basically the pre-opening pop in the uh, in the futures <laughs> this morning. And so that really shows you it's been this very obedient market for all the news that's been thrown at it. Uh, on the one side, you have a lot of the retail and energy and financial stocks that have really gotten pressured. Meanwhile, yield plays have, have supported this market and the idea that dividends... It doesn't feel like this. It doesn't feel like we've just been going nowhere. I mean, yeah, it feels painful for a lot of people. You've only been down about 6% from the highs yeah. uh, and mostly just kind of biding time. Okay. Well, here you uh, hear the um, applause building, of course, as we get ready to start trading. With, uh, that setup, we just heard from Sarah and Mike in terms of what we may expect today. Real-time exchange going to be a lot more green on that board, given what we've seen in the future. And here at the big board, Grupo Oba. kept an eye on retail this morning, but uh, moving on to some other areas. There was this interesting note from the UBS Evidence Lab. Whenever We yeah, always see? laugh about that on Disney. Yeah, just, you know, they even have a stamp. They put a little lab? stamp on their things. Evidence Lab, uh, like their CIS. We love them. But uh, they did do a survey. I have absolutely no ideas for the <laughs> statistical validity of said survey, but it is interesting because it's focused on an area that we are certainly focused on, which is what will be the success rate of Disney's direct-to-consumer offering, Disney Plus, and what conceivably will it mean for the other entrants in the field? Netflix, of course, chief amongst them, and others as well, such as Amazon, not to mention entrants that have not yet even made their way in, such as HBO Max. Uh, they surveyed 1,000 people, 79% of them said they'd heard of Disney Plus, 63% either were very or somewhat aware, and 43% of respondents said they were likely to subscribe to Disney Plus. The point UBS is making this morning, again, from their potentially insignificant survey, no idea, uh, is nonetheless, or significant, is nonetheless that it's above what Disney had targeted over the next few years is what they thought the available number of consumers in the U or households in the U.S. was. Uh, Disney had been looking for 20 to 30 million U.S. subs by 2024. That's 20 to 30 percent penetration. So if they're right and you get above that at 43 percent from these thousand people, then obviously you'd have a lot more subscribers. Sure. I also like this one. Uh, overall, the UBS Evidence Lab found that the majority, 67% of respondents, noted they would add Disney Plus without eliminating any of their other current video services. Because that's always a question, right, for Netflix and some of the other streamers. Yes. However, of those likely to subscribe, Sarah, 57% noted that they would cancel at least one other service, either pay TV, 33%, or a streaming service yeah. at 33%. It's interesting you have to wonder whether Netflix, Netflix is worried The stock or not. has struggled. Yes. Um, it's down to some more than 20% Worst in just about in six August. weeks. I don't think it's the market saying, wait, this is a zero-sum game. <laughs> We're going to credit Disney with basically taking a piece of Netflix. I think the issue is, for years, Netflix has been the only way to play Internet TV. 
it got a market cap that was based on so much excitement in this area, so much growth, so much development, and really the only pure play was Netflix. Now Disney is a viable option as a number two. You're adding market cap to Disney. So I don't know that the market is saying, well, they're going to lose a lot of subs domestically for Netflix. It's just kind of, there are more players. It's less, you know, less clear right. that they're going to uh, Well, but Netflix's growth here. rate in the United States is not particularly strong yeah, as really it is in terms of adding yeah. subs. It's about globally. But you do have to wonder whether, in fact, it is going to mitigate to a certain extent their expectations. I mean, I think yeah. that is part of it. it Netflix it has got to be path. thinking about this, Mike. I know they are. Oh, of course. In terms of what it's going to mean and what they might want they might want to do if, they, if there's anything to do sure. to sort of... S- have a better grab on a uh, hold on their future. When Netflix is trading at four hundred dollars, I mean, what's the membership base that you needed to assume they were going to get to to justify that valuation? It's a lot higher than where they are right now. And so, if Disney slows the path to whatever number you think makes sense, if it's four hundred million, I don't exactly. know what the number is. That's that's an issue for the stock in the short term. And then, of course, you can get to some of the other entrants, including our own parent company, of course, Comcast through NBC Universal, going to have an ad-supported streaming service. And then Time Warner's entrant, which a lot of people have wondered whether it's going to really be able to have great traction in the market. They're calling that HBO Max. They're pricing it a bit above an HBO stream uh, a streaming subscription at this point. That's going to include TBS and TNT. Um, we'll be following these streaming wars closely, but thanks to the UBS Evidence Lab. We've got a, a market rally here. I mean, it's pretty broad. Everybody's up. I was just going to say Netflix, Disney. Uh, every member of the communication services group, technology, trade-sensitive stocks like the semis are actually leading this entire market. And we've got a Dow up 302. How about the retail names uh, being warmly received despite some mixed numbers, mixed guidance? Uh, let's look at Dollar General. That's the biggest winner. That's up 7.5%. That was on... A best-in-comp show, right, in in terms of retail, up 4%. And continuing a string of actually uh, beating comp estimates nine quarters in a row for Dollar General. So, I mean, net sales up 8.4%. You're talking $7 billion for the quarter. Uh, And, again, gross profit, 30.8%. Not a bad business. Uh, And, you know, the conference call is underway. We'll see if there's anything to add in terms of their view of tariffs and what that's going to mean. Uh, They did buy $185 million worth of common stock during the last quarter. It's about 1.4 million shares uh, as well. Best Buy is getting hit, though, down almost 8% uh, on that. Again, reduction sort of in the top line of their sales guidance and comp sales store guidance. Williams-Sonoma also down. You know, we saw that report after the close yesterday. That was a good one. It seemed to check all the boxes that they that they had a decent quarter. Comps better than expected. Guidance was, was okay, too. It has held up somewhat better than uh, than the group, but there's a little bit of skepticism that they can continue this. Well, it's also the margin story. Yeah. Um, went into the results a little deeper and the forecast, and, and that's where they're feeling the impact of the tariffs. Yes, they, too, like many other retailers, have been trying to shift production outside of China in ter- terms of the home goods stores, but, but they're exposed, and you see it in the margins. Uh, as far as the comps, though, tremendous out of West Elm, up 17.5%, which is usually the bright spot, but that is actually better than it's been. And, importantly, Pottery Barn has turned around up 4.2%. It's, it's West been a Elm drive. is mostly China, isn't it? Most of that stuff comes from China. Supplied, you mean? Yeah. A lot of it is. I mean, but they've been shifting like like everybody else. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of these retailers, they say they're, a lot of them don't break out the exact exposure in China, but you can read into it gross margins, a lot of the analysts talking about it. I don't know exactly the Williams-Sonoma numbers, but you see numbers like 20, 25 percent or 25 percent exposure going down to 20 percent exposure, which is still meaningful when you're talking about an increased 
Terrible. Very much so. Um, Abercrombie & Fitch, only a billion-dollar market cap, but it is going down. It's down about 11%. Uh, they didn't really have a lot to say in terms of giving a specific impact from China tariffs. Obviously, apparel and footwear, as you pointed out many times, Sarah, are going to be part of what we get uh, either in September or uh, or December 15th. Um, they said the impact uh, is based on a starting rate of 15% for list four, 25. They're talking about, uh, not, you know, not giving us too much, but that stock overall uh, down. Comparable sales are flat. They had been looking for as much as 3%. Well, and that, that's year. one that makes you wonder how much retailers can use the tariffs as an excuse. I mean, yes, they're going to raise costs. They're going to hurt margins. They're going to have to pass on consumer, whatever they do. But Abercrombie has been, to your point on comps, not the fastest grower. Teen retail kind of caught in this nether region of trying to turn around sales. How about that report of a bankruptcy from Forever 21 on the same day where Rihanna manages to raise more money for her lingerie brand, Fenty? I mean, it it tells you where, where the money and where the consumer is going in terms of retail right now. Celebrity works. Reese Witherspoon has managed to raise a lot of venture capital for her uh, clothing line, Goop, we know, and Gwyneth Paltrow, not just clothing, but it's, it's an interesting juxtaposition here. Right, as opposed to Forever 21, which is kind of, you know, low you know price, this. fairly generic, you know, uh, not generic, but it, they're just trying to stay on the trend, but it's not really branded, it's not really attached to uh, celebrity or personality often. Yeah, and, and then at one point it was growing like crazy. A few yeah. years ago, fast fashion was threatening all the specialty brands. You know, in the Bloomberg article on this, David, they took an interesting angle, which is could be very painful for the Brookfield Asset Management and the other sort of big real estate mall owners because Forever 21s are huge footprints, and they had been really big tenants growing like crazy over the last few years. Yeah. So if they have to shut stores, which we don't. Um, one name that if Jim Cramer was here, he'd be shouting about because he's been very positive on it, Burlington Stores. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen that stock up sharply on better than expected earnings per share, uh, as well as comp store sales. They're crushing it. When other retailers complain about weather, they say weather was bad, which is good for us. I mean, that's not the whole story here. Of <laughs> no, course. there's a lot more there. Well, than, yes. Uh, in terms of, I thought you were going to uh, say PBH, which is also actually having a looks like a pretty good day on Wall Street, even though they were one of the companies that warned on tariffs and cut guidance as a result. I think the sales numbers for the quarter were stronger than expected. Europe actually has been a bright spot for this company. Tommy Hilfiger Europe was the highlight of the quarter. Trends in North America, which is a little more than half of sales for PBH, uh, a little light, and Greater China were a little light. But overall, it's been an underperformer, like so many of these specialty retailers, the Ralph Lauren's of the world. Uh, and so now it's getting a big boost on some yeah. positives that are that are inside this report. Yeah. I was going to mention that banks are just lifting again. They're outperforming this morning. They had a little bit of a relief yesterday, and obviously uh, yields are just a little bit higher. We're not really talking about a big move in terms of treasuries, but at least they're not making new lows uh, in terms of yield, and that's, uh, that's helping at least at the outset. You have the, the, the big banks group uh, up like 1.3% as a category. And some of the proxies for uh, the China trade war in terms of negative or positive are having better than uh, or are outpacing the S&P. Apple's up 1.6%. Alibaba, which we always focus on in part, certainly a play on the Chinese consumer, but just in general, is up uh, 2.8% uh, this morning. And tech has a, has a pretty good bid to it. As we watch the S&P, uh, up over 1%. Dow Transports had a really good day yesterday, having another good day today, up 1.6%. Some people saw that as 
warning signal in the month of August because they had underperformed in the Russell. Mike also had a pretty decent day yesterday outperforming. It looks like it's having another strong one. I guess, you know, back to the original question, which is how much is just reversing the month-end trends? I think it's a combination of reversing the month-end trends and the sense that, at least in the very short term, this idea that we're surely headed for a sharp global downturn in the economy, maybe we've over-anticipated that. You know, maybe it's still the economy we knew we had. And if that's the case, if it's just a scare and not a real slide into recession, then something like, you know, a FedEx down tremendously in a few months uh, and near two-year lows or three-year lows is going to get a bounce within the transports up 1.7% today. Yeah, I mean, Intel's the the biggest winner right now on the Dow. It's down about 8% still for the month. Burlington Stores has almost $14 billion market cap. Uh, all right, Bob Pisani, uh, other than that, I know you've got a lot of other things you want to get to this morning, so take it away. So what, what's the trade talks worth? Well, they're worth about 20 points with the S&P 500. 3 a.m., nobody's here. Too much noise. Don't you people ever want to go to bed? Remember the Rolling Stones song? There we go. <laughs> 20 points. Uh, and, of course, that's where we had the comments uh, out of China. Hope they can create favorable conditions. A lot of cynicism. Oh, there's nothing new here. Well, wait a minute. I thought there was something new. There's nothing about any retaliation, more retaliation. That's kind of news. And they, there appears to be talks going on about face-to-face meetings in September. That's kind of news. So don't be too cynical about this. In terms of sectors, same thing happened yesterday. All the stuff that had a tough time in the month were up. And all the stuff that was defensive was flat to down. This is again happening today. Semis, transports, banks. Lousy month. All rallying going into the close of the month. REITs, utilities, all had a great month. All somewhat flattish to slightly up. So we're sort of flipping around here. This is great. Remember that old rotation story that keeps the market up? A lot of people were afraid that was going to go away. It's been coming back in the last couple of days. The retail, Sarah had a lot to say about the retail. I just want to know, just an awful lot of people raised guidance for the full year. Dollar General, Burlington, five below. William Snow is down a little bit here. Best Buy is down a little bit. They raised their numbers here, uh, but uh, their revenues and comps were a little bit below forecasts. Uh, and, and generally, uh, they haven't had as bad a month as some of the apparel makers. Remember, apparel's had a, a horrible time and a horrible year uh, overall. So a lot of discussion about recessions yesterday, when will it come, and what it... My issue is what does it mean for the stock market overall? So in a typical kind of garden variety quote-unquote, recession. You'll see earnings in the S&P drop about 20%. You'll typically see the S&P 500 drop 20 to 30%. Again, this is all over the place, but this is not unusual. 2008 was like a three-sigma event. That was really unusual. We saw 50% drop in the S&P 500 and a bigger drop in the earnings. But again, that's a real outlier. This is very typical for a kind of recession. And the real debate now is, so are we going into one? And are we experiencing now peak earnings per share? So remember we've talked about for the last four or five months, earnings are essentially flattish for 2019. That is still the case. There are some sectors that are coming down overall. The bad news is the confidence in the estimates are not very high. Now, in the top of the hour, I'll show you some numbers for some specific sectors and show you where the confidence levels are very, very low. And that's why there's so much uncertainty in the market right now. We're very concerned about the direction of tariffs, but we're also concerned about Europe and the Asian economy independently of trade and tariffs. And we're concerned about what's the right policy for weaker growth. Is cutting rates always the right answer? There's a big debate about whether we're going to have that. Finally, just note, uh, David, before we go back to you, if you're concerned about recessions, you want to watch the VIX here. This was 40 
in December. There was concerns that we were going to have a recession in late 2019 that never materialized, and that's why we went down. Look here, we were at 24 in May when everybody started getting concerned about the tariffs again, and we're back up here in this high, in the mid-20 levels in the early part of August. Not anything close to the real, true recession concerns we had back in December. David, back to you. Yeah, I can vaguely remember all that, Bob. Thank you, Bob Asani. Let's head to the bond pits now, check in with Rick Santelli at the CME Group in Chicago. Rick. Good morning, David. You know, the two-year note yields up a couple of basis points, 10 years up one basis point, 30s are unchanged. We are holding. Now, as you look at one week of twos, it seems to have a bit more grab, and hence we've had that inversion, which is running around minus three right now. But one week of 30s really underscores how we're just kind of surfing along the bottom of cycle lows. But it does seem to be firming. And remember, with the big rebalancing, just consider the huge yield drops for the month of August. You know, conventional wisdom goes, remember, when you buy Treasury yields, buy Treasury's yields go down. So the thinking is there's going to be rebalancing, selling Treasuries, moving into stocks. Well, it seems pretty apparent yesterday that that is going on. But maybe the counterfactual is if this represents selling to push yields up in treasuries, it's not making a whole lot of progress, even though it may indeed be coming in. We'll monitor that closely. Look at a two-day of what's going on in Boone's. You know, they continue to extend their historic loss, albeit in very small bites. Minus 73 came very close to that. It was like minus 72 and change. Yesterday, a new low yield close for the entire run of Boone's. So we want to monitor that. And, of course, the appropriate response of a weaker currency, the euro versus the greenback, as you see on this chart, going back to May 17. So, what, 28-month low? I base everything on a close. And finally, let's look at the inverse of that, the opposite, the dollar index. Uh, That chart starts in the second week of July. On July 31st, they made their high going back to May, just like the comp for the euro. We're getting very close, but maybe the real story is how close we always have been over the last several weeks, even with all the market volatility. Sarah, back to you. All right, Rick, thank you. Just bringing you a headline here. President Trump is speaking on Fox News Radio. He was asked about whether trade talks are going on with China. He says that there are talks scheduled today at a different level. That is the direct quote, uh, which, you know, could very well mean to say that talks have been going on all the time between the U.S. and Chinese delegation at lower levels. We'll wait to see whether the high-level talks that were scheduled for September as soon as possibly next week actually happen, but feeds into the positive narrative in the market that the talks are ongoing and that for now, there's a pause in the escalation between the U.S. and China, Dow up 282 points. We are staying on top of this morning's rally for you. Pretty broad base. We've got every sector in the S&P higher. We've got more than 1% gains across the board for the NASDAQ today, 1.5% led by trade-sensitive stocks like semiconductors and technology. More Squawk on the Street straight ahead. Delivering Alpha, the most important investor summit, nine years running. Strategy from leading alpha generators. Direct access to policymakers and government leaders. On September 19th, see who's calling the shots now. Go to DeliveringAlpha.com to attend this year's blockbuster event. You will come away with ideas that you can put to work immediately. Plus, special guest Vice President Mike Pence talks economy and trade war impact. Reserve your spot now at DeliveringAlpha.com. All right, it's a sea of green. See it there. See it everywhere. 
We're back after this. The FBI has raided the home of United Auto Workers Union President Gary Jones. This is part of a probe regarding alleged corruption within the U.S. auto industry. Our Phil Lebeau joins us with the latest on this story. Morning, Phil. Good morning, Sarah. And the video from yesterday shows that this is an investigation that, while it's been going on for three and a half, four years, it is starting to widen out to involve more UAW officials. This is Gary Jones' home in Detroit or just outside of Detroit. Some of the FBI uh, officers leaving there. This is Gary Jones. He is the president of the UAW. The question becomes... What does this investigation, as it expands, what impact will it have on the UAW contract talks? Those talks are centering around three main issues, and it basically comes down to this. The time needed to reach full pay for new hires, the UAW would like to shorten that. How many temporary workers the auto work, the automakers hire, the UAW would like to see that lowered or reduced. And then finally, what are the health care costs? The automakers want the UAW members to pay more. The UAW members say, nope, we think we should stay right about where we are. And in terms of the auto stocks, the the negotiation, not the investigation, but the negotiation is really what people are focused on. These stocks haven't done anything over the last four years. That's the time frame for the current UAW contract, guys. So coming into September 15th, the focus will be on A, If the saber-rattling and the tough stance that we've seen from the UAW, does that continue? Or does this probe by the FBI, this corruption investigation with UAW leadership, does that start to weigh on members a little bit? So this is the dynamic that we're going to be focused on uh, leading up to the September 15th end of the current contract. Phil, thank you. Interesting story there, Phil about. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.